Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the 250th episode of the Failed Critics Podcast, where a few normal people aim to string a few sentences together to review cinema's new releases, as well as the films we've been watching this week on DVD, Netflix, Love Film. Remember Love Film? <laughs> or maybe even something we've managed to dig out on VHS somewhere at the back of a cup. There's more chance for watching something on VHS than on Love Film, isn't there? Let's be honest. That's true. Yeah. So uh, give you an idea of what you might want to watch or what you might want to avoid. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Jerry McCauley. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. And Steve Norman. That was, bar a bit of ad-libbing, the intro from the first podcast. Um, obviously, Owen's name is ad-libbing a bit because he wasn't on the first <laughs> ever one. It was just no. me, James, Jerry. Did you dig that out? And Wow. That's more... Oh, I did. I still don't, I still don't make any notes or pre- <laughs> prep or anything. Yeah. Uh, that was me doing that. Okay, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Emailed it over to Steve about five minutes before we started recording. Yeah. I was like, shit, I'd... we've got to have something to intro us. The same thing that we had in the very first episode. As I just thought back. you guys had got really, really slick and professional since I left. I didn't realise that's how we started. <laughs> <laughs> you, mean, you mean we started I... slick and professional and then it was a slow yeah, downward script slope stuff. from, you know, mm. slick opening into kind of slapdash and then since you and i left james it's probably gone back up in the professionalism stage is that, is that what you say sure it has yeah i'm pretty yeah. sure it has actually <laughs> what do you mean? But, but probably i'd take it that you don't listen anymore then <laughs> oh no of course i do yeah. <laughs> always every week mate yeah, I st- I, yeah. don't worry uh, you still get your numbers from me i just might not actually get around to listening to it all the time wow. Um, so yes, it's not um, listeners. You haven't gone back in time five years. Five years, bloody hell! You haven't gone back in time nearly five years. Um, we have brought back the pretty much the original lineup of the podcast, the founding members for this two hundred fiftieth episode. That is our gimmick. There is no other gimmick this week. We've just brought back some old faces. We haven't done anything that's else it, special. We've just got some older old podcast people back on. That's the hook. That's going to yes. get people in. That's bringing the yeah. numbers back. Got the names. Yeah. Got the big hitters. That's got it. the, uh, you know, the, the the predecessors of Andrew Brooker and Paul Field. The prototype Pauls, if you will. Even before Matt Lamborn and Carol. Pets, oh, who, oh my goodness you know, me. Going right back. April 2012, right you guys started. April 2012. And even you started much before that as well, James, because you were the failed critic originally. Yes. Singular. Goodness me. Um, are we bringing back the terrible audio quality as well, just for nostalgia's sake? I'm, I, I was considering cancelling my internet and signing back up to the post office so it could just cut <laughs> out every five minutes. I think James said he was going to go and record in his car again. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, great days. I think Jerry was going to fall asleep and miss a recording. That was going to happen again. <laughs> yeah, I did have a little nap earlier on, just yeah. tactically, you know, make sure. Uh, do you know what I've got here as well? I've got three of the... This isn't the quiz. We will have a normal quiz. But um, can any of you guys remember what the original names that James drafted for the Fail Critics podcast were? There oh, were three God. of them. No um, way. Wow. Yeah, uh, Steve and friends. <laughs> <laughs> Without saying, of course. But yeah. um, aside from that one, should I just give you give them to you? Go on, yeah. Hell in a cellutoid. What? <laughs> yep, flixomatosis was wow. another one. Yeah, and I think this was the favourite was the human cinematopede. <laughs> I really like my dreadful puns, don't I? That's not changed. There we go. I think we've picked the best one. <laughs> I think I think sticking with just the fail critics podcast was probably. I can't believe we didn't go choice. for the human cinema to beat. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm distraught. I, I would have done. Let's be honest. Left my own devices. Um, yeah. So should we should we go straight into the the quiz um, where it's currently one all. Um, I don't know if you guys have, have kept up with the quiz. I can't remember where we were in the quizzing rules when when you guys left, but the loser of the quiz, not each week, it's best of, first of three, the loser has to watch a film recommended by the other person. And we have taken the attack of, of just naming the worst films possible, which I think I might have topped yeah. um, a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Yep. With with Owen having to watch the wonderfully titled Essex Space Bin. Oh my god. Essex what? Space Bin. I thought that's what you said, but I thought, no, that, that can't be <laughs> what <laughs> that's you actually it. said. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, you've got to imagine a film about a, um, let's call her a mentally challenged woman in Essex who wraps herself in tinfoil, creates a portal out of empty chicken boxes, and tries to transport herself to a fourth dimension. Wow. Sounds legit. Yeah. We have hit the bottom of the barrel. Do you know, I'm sure there used to be an element of punishment, but also with some kind... Of, the films had some kind of redeeming features when we yeah. used to do that. I remember when I made Steve watch Holy Motors, for example. That was, <laughs> a, that was a glorious time. Yeah. I've never I've never recovered. <laughs> And we we did try that with passing each other films that we thought, you know, they, neither of us would ordinarily watch. I think, um, Steve, I made you watch Citizen Kane, right? Black and white yeah. film. Oh, yeah, because it was black and white, yeah. You know, you thought that was okay, right? You didn't hate yeah. it. Yeah, so we tried that. But do you know what? It's boring to listen to is the problem. <laughs> People only care when we're giving each other utter shit like Kill Keith and United Passions. Kill, Kill Keith. I made Owen watch. I don't know if you have heard of that, guys, but it's uh, essentially... Uh, no, I, I got given a copy of it at the <laughs> wow. Critics Meetup, yeah. which I still haven't watched. Well, well Jerry, well, surprise. if you don't know, it's, it's, it's basically Kill Bill, with, but with Keith Chegwin. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds amazing. And Joe, and Joe Pasquale is in it as well. There's a yeah, serial killer. to stream somewhere, because I need to watch this. <laughs> you don't, honestly. Avoid it. <laughs> Um, the, the, and I think United Passions, a self-funded FIFA movie, um, mm-hmm. was one of the worst. That's up there. But um, yeah, recently we've been passing back and forth geezer movies of the lowest quality imaginable. <laughs> Which started when we did a Danny Di- Danny Dyer is in the corridor of praise. By the way, I suppose that's big news. 
yeah. we added uh, yeah Danny Doyle to that one yeah he, yeah. he got in before Christopher Lee. <laughs> he did. Wow. Christopher Lee is still sat on the waiting bench. He's just oh outside God, the office. It? And Danny yeah. Dyer is in. Good Lord. Danny Dyer. Um, yeah. So since then, we just ended up watching lots of geezer movies as trying to punish each other with worse and worse incarnations of, you know, London gangsters trying to shoot up crims. Or nonces. Or nonces. It's crims or nonces. Exactly. Or both. Yeah. Got out of the window completely is any chance now of us watching a good quality movie. Like flicking through IMDb Top 250 and trying to make each other watch those. Not a chance. Yeah. No, you're too far down the tunnel now. What you need to um, you need to watch if you're trying to do like geezer films, there was a, a Liverpool-based, uh, I want to say gangster film. It's not really a gangster <laughs> okay. film. Um, called Shooters which is probably about 15 years old now, um, which is actually reasonably good. But it's like a drama documentary. They basically got um, they got criminals to play fictional gangsters, but they're yeah. all criminals. It's like 100%, 100% uh, criminal cast. Watch that. Tidy little film. In fact, you shouldn't have mentioned that because Paul Field, who sends us these movies, like we don't ask for them. They just turn up in the post. <laughs> He will wow. he will have either seen that or will be now ordering it from Amazon and delivering it first class post. Excellent. <sighs> yeah. Great. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. so the qu- the quiz itself, Owen's asking questions and it's James and Jerry against me. In a sort of ode to the older quizzes, the very first time we used to do this quiz, what what happened was one of us would read out the filmography of an actor and you just had to shout in when you thought you knew the answer. I've brought that back. Yeah, I brought it back. But we've got five actors, so uh, best five, really. Are we so saying Steve, actors as in the male? Is that confirmation? Uh, the, yes, they are actually all male. Typical, typical mainstream <laughs> media. All male, all white. Uh, yeah, my goodness. <laughs> it is award season. Come on. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> male. Everybody white. White, straight males. Yeah. able-bodied white straight yeah cisgender males oh that's what we've got which is why tom cruise yeah. never wins oscars eee. first one they had an uncredited role in, in missing in action okay. so if you get it from that i would be incredibly surprised they had a cameo role in an episode of friends that could be anyone it could be yeah, anyone that, that that literally anyone <laughs> yeah they were in kung fu panda 2 they were also in last action hero and they were in The Expendables 2. Is it Bruce Willis? It's not Bruce Willis. Oh. Are, you reading, are you reading these out chronologically? No, no. Okay, right. <laughs> no. Uh, it's going to get easier now. Hard target. James. Yeah. Is it Jean-Claude Van Damme? It is one Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yes. Point to James and Jerry. Okay, next one. Uh, they were in Evan Almighty. They were in The Invention of Lying. Steve. Yeah? Is it Steve Carell? It's not Steve Carell, no. They were in How to Train Your Dragon. They had a role in James. Django. Uh, yeah? Oh, you gonna say, oh, I was going to say Gerard Butler. It's not Gerard Butler, no. no. They had a role in Django Unchained. Steve. Yeah? Is it Rob Lowe? It's not Rob Lowe, <laughs> no. <laughs> They're in Wolf of Wall Street. Steve. Jerry, is it 
Is it Jonah Hill? It is Jonah oh, Hill. Oh, of course. Nice, nicely <laughs> yeah. done. Yeah, very good. The next one was going to be super bad. So, yeah. so you know. Um, okay. One of their early roles was in Halloween H2O, 20 years later. They were also in Lincoln, the uh, Steven Spielberg film. Yeah, everyone. Oh, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> <Not> Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Daniel Day Lewis in Halloween H2O. Yeah, that, that would breakthrough just be role quality. Yeah. <laughs> Method acting. Yeah, that would have been so much, what, like six years, seven years after he was in My Left Foot as well. That would have been some fall from, from grace for him. But um, G.I. Joe, Rise of the Cobra. I love the way you asked it, like, like we'd all watch it. <laughs> yeah, James? Uh, is it Channing Tatum? Oh, it's not Channing Tatum. Oh. No. Next is Inception. All right. Um, oh, um, yeah. Jerry, it's not Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is it? It is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, my God. 3-0. Clean sweep. Did not realise he was in a G.I. Joe film. I didn't. And I didn't realise yeah. he was in Lincoln either. <laughs> you were? Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. The next one was going to be Dark Knight Rises and then 500 oh, Days yeah. of Summer. So oh, okay. there we go. Um, yeah, 3-0. There's no chance of a comeback for Steve. Oh, no. Yeah. Mind. The next, The next person was going to be Clint Howard. So what's the connection? <laughs> What's the connection between those four actors? I know, I know the connection there. Those are the yeah. four actors that would uh, play us in the movie of our lives when we started this podcast. And Clint Howard was mine. Yeah. Yep. Bingo. That was it. So yeah. So all four straight white male cisgender fellas who oh, um, would play us in a movie. Makes it a little bit more understanding now. What was your fifth one? If you're having to go to a fifth one. Uh, the fifth one was going to be Will Arnett. For, oh, okay. Because you know, he's in Lego yeah, Batman, oh, okay. which is our main review. Such a pro. Uh, yep. There we go. See, I do a little bit of prep. I do prep <laughs> nowadays. You know, a few notes here and there. Yes, that was a quiz. I'm now losing 2-1 and ever closer to watching God knows what. Shooters. Um, yeah, can't, wait for next, <laughs> can't wait for next week. Um I reckon Clint Howard has made some fine films. If you know, if you were to search his back catalogue, I'm sure. Yeah. It's basically like, all of Ron Howard's films, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> and two two episodes of Arrested Development as yeah. well. He was the yeah. guy up the tree. Yeah. <laughs> he was. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's been in like 240 films, something like that. Amazing. But, what a life. That's yeah. insane. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It will um, always be Johnny Bark to me. <laughs> but Jerry, you had something you wanted to chuck in after our new uh, quiz section. I did. So I was thinking, right, not 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 being on the podcast for a while, not had a film discussion with you guys, and I thought, hmm, it's been a, been quite a long time since we did the the podcast. What I like, I was asking myself, you know, in that time, what films have stood out for good or bad reasons? So I thought, right, I'm going to flip this. Mm-hmm. So since we started, so since episode one, what would you say? No, I'll, 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 I'll hedge this slightly. So what would you say is the best film with, I'm doing inverted commas with my fingers that obviously is communicated well on the, on a podcast media. Um, <laughs> what's the best film? So, you know, not necessarily the most enjoyable cause that's coming next, but what do you think is the best film that you've watched since we started this podcast? doesn't have to be something that was released since then, but just the best film. Oh, wow. Okay. Since we started. Man. You got, you got 
several years worth of film watching, which for Owen means there's at least 8,000 films to choose from. <laughs> yeah. Only six for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Star Wars doesn't count, Steve, because you watched it before we uh, began the podcast. I'll um, chuck one in there. I'll chuck one in there, and it and it wasn't a really early recommendation from one here as well. Um, it was the one where we did a triple bill on child protagonists, and I think Jerry chose Grave of the Fireflies. I might be wrong; my memory might be failing me. Um, but that, because I had seen My Neighbor Toto at that point, and then I went to see when they re-released it in the cinema a year or two after that podcast and I finally saw Grave of the Fireflies for the first time and it was such a sucker punch to the stomach um, and just this most beautiful arresting piece of film and yeah I think that would be my one there mm. strong choice strong choice and we did put Ghibli into our Studio Ghibli went into we our did, corridor yeah. phrase yeah, yeah yeah largely off the back of me being an absolutely massive geek of their films to be fair so uh, mm-hmm. good choice mine for what it's worth would probably be Amore which um, oh. also topical because I once watched it for um, <laughs> for a nice romantic date with my with my now yeah. wife <laughs> I, I also went to see it with my wife as well and we kind mm. of walked out and didn't talk for about half an hour afterwards it was yeah. really, really tough it is on TV this week as well it's on film 4 this week oh, wow. so yeah, it's, so it's worth you know, watch it's incredible. That's a, wow, that's a brutal yeah. bit of programming from. Uh, is it on? Is it on for Valentine's yeah. Day? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I can't help but think I I saw it on Valentine's Day. I can't help thinking that's when I saw it actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so pretty I sure I saw mine. it for Valentine's Day. <laughs> I watched it just before Christmas, as in mm. I thought, oh, let's watch a nice, let's watch a nice love film to put it in a nice loving <laughs> Christmas mood. Yeah, and then you watched Up to try and cheer yourself up afterwards. <laughs> uh, I think the best film... I've seen quite a few that have been just absolutely spectacular, I think, but the, the best new release, I guess, is Spotlight. That's the best film okay. that's come out since we started, I think. It's up there, isn't it? I mean, what else has been new release since we've... Well, my other choice is going to be Whiplash. I, I adored Whiplash, and I've seen it three or four times since, and yeah... That that was going to be my other choice as well. Just I, I cannot get enough of Whiplash. Um, the stuff like Twelve Years a Slave that's been out since we yeah. started. That was a you know it's not one like a film I'd probably ever want to watch again mm-hmm. because it was a very difficult watch. But it is it was fantastic. On that topic, slightly different tweak to this. What's the most enjoyable film you've watched in the last? Eas- easily like, for me, since the podcast about the most enjoyable film I've watched new release wise was guardians of the galaxy yeah more so than the star wars movies i think so yeah, yeah. although rogue, rogue one i preferred to force awakens but force awakens as good as it was it doesn't quite stand up on repeat viewing as much that doesn't surprise me uh <clears throat> i'm still hating star wars by the way mm-hmm. in case you two hadn't yeah, that's fine. That's fun. in fact no i can't say no i was gonna say within not very long i saw the muppets movie the yeah the first of the like yeah. fresh ones but i chose that in our triple bill of um desert island movies in episode one so i must have seen that before the podcast started so the other one's going to have to be lego movie instead I, I i had so much fun at the cinema watching a lego movie that yeah i think that that's got to be my most enjoyable one 
which was actually for our 100th episode. Oh, that was, was it? Uh, the main release on episode 100. Like I'm some kind of uh, special ley line or something. I'm just tying everything together tonight. Exactly. <laughs> Lego Movie as our 100th episode. Lego what Batman for 250th. Wow, it, you know, it felt like I watched The Muppets and Lego Movie really, really close together and obviously didn't. But I've, I've connected them in some shape, some shape or form in my mind. But yeah, no, I just I had an absolute blast watching the Lego Movie. I, I was torn on mine between between two, mm-hmm. um, and that is between Inside Out, which I think is a phenomenally oh, enjoyable yeah. film. Yeah. Um, but probably the film that I least expected to like so much, and you'll know this because of the main star and my personal hatred against. Said person, I've already made one slanderous comment about his sexuality already, which I don't think anyone even heard uh, tonight. <laughs> uh, and that was um, Edge of Tomorrow. I thought that was fucking brilliant. Oh, it was amazing. I'm, I'm a cruise <laughs> fanatic anyway, but oh god, I loved Edge of Tomorrow. It was just, it was just as a pure enjoyment film. I know it's not, it's a bit, it's not trashy, but it's not, you know, it's not high cinema kind of highbrow bloody the well thought out thing it's just a great concept really really well done phenomenal action sequences Emily Blunt is bloody awesome in it as well mm. that's probably my the one that I most enjoyed although I do love Inside Out I don't know what I would say has been my most enjoyable film. I mean I've, I really did like Avengers when that came here that was just so much fun but I wasn't actually part of the podcast then I think that was the second oh, film yeah. you guys reviewed so I don't think that counts really but um, yeah enjoyable I've seen lots of good films, like amazing films that aren't necessarily what you could describe as fun and entertaining and enjoyable. So I don't know. I guess I liked them. I saw The Last Boy Scout and The Nice Guys and, you know, loads of Shane Black films since we first started the podcast. I'm going to just say any of those, any Shane Black movie that I've seen since we began, as well as Alpha Papa, the Alan Partridge movie, of course. That was also really good fun. Oh, yeah, that was great. That was great. Um... Okay, final one. Flipping this. What is? Doesn't have to be a, a new release. Just, just all told. And I'm conscious that you and Steve have watched a lot of, a lot of these over the over recent <laughs> months. What is the worst film that you've seen in the last uh, five years, almost, that we've been doing this? Bloody hell. Okay, you go first. You start us off, and I'll have a think. So I will say the worst because it is the only film that I have turned off midway through because I literally just thought, why am I wasting my Friday night watching this? And that's uh-huh. Suicide Squad. Oh, really? Mm. Okay. I think that's partly because I'm a big DC fan and I was so disgusted by how badly they'd done <laughs> what should be a great movie and a great cast. But yeah, I, I literally turned it off after about an hour and 40 minutes. It was just like, this is boring. Why am I yeah. spending my Friday night doing this? It's just boring. Hmm. There were a couple that we had actually, uh, you know, as the booby prizes for losing the quiz that have stunk out the place. Kill Keith would be one of them, United Passions. I think we also had um, Run for Your Wife. I think that was when you described the podcast. That was absolutely appalling. And I love Danny Dyer, but good God. Yeah. There was also Movie 43, which is one I think you also gave us. Uh, Oh, God, yeah, that was terrible. I went to see that in the cinema. I paid money for that. That was horrible. Good, because yeah. I can't log into my letterbox at the minute because I've not used it in like two years. So I can't find the stuff. <laughs> so you're doing this job for me. I'd say Run For Your Wife is probably the worst film I've seen in this time. 
Yeah. Although the um, the 300 sequel really, really wound me up by, with its awfulness because I really enjoyed the first film. So It was uh, bad, wasn't it? It was terrible. Yeah, it literally had uh, Eva Green's boobs to save it. And that, that was, was it. <laughs> that was the one I was about to say, there was, there, was a, there was one scene that I think made that yeah. worth watching. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've not changed. Yeah. Mob Handed is definitely the worst, though. Um, no. I'm sure you'd agree, Steve, right? No. Mob Uni- no? Uni- United Passions. Worse than Mob Handed? Mm-hmm. The thing with United Passions is it's it's a propaganda movie, isn't it? It's FIFA propaganda. As, yep. as far as propaganda movies go, the Nazis probably did better. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just absolute <laughs> bilge, isn't it? I don't yeah. know what Tim Roth is doing in there other than... Well. It was, self, his it, money, was, I think. it was self-funded by FIFA as well, wasn't it? It wasn't even... If you want to get like uh, upset about the ethics of it, that's money that's being taken out of the game, you know, again, with Jerry's air quotes, um, and put into making a fucking self-congratulatory movie. It's just uh, painful. Well, going back to, to ones that were um, enjoyable... Um, Next goal wins that we actually got involved with right near the start. We ended up, I ended up going to a screening of it and interviewing a director and the goalkeeper of the American Samoan national football team. Um, that was a really enjoyable film or documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really was. And weirdly, just tonight, I lent I lent the DVD to someone. Said you should really watch that film. It's amazing. That's, this is a magical night, guys. The final one, dead quick, that I thought of, which because I thought there's, there's different ways of looking at this. What mm-hmm. I think is merited. What is the best cinema experience you've had? So the best, just pure, wouldn't be as good if you weren't in a cinema experience. So for me, that's gravity. So gravity on second watching in your living room, nothing like watching it in the cinema. That was like a magical cinema-only yeah. experience. Yeah, I'd agree with that because the plot of gravity isn't, that great so to watch it anywhere else other than the cinema it's just watching an average sci-fi film but watching it in a cinema in a big screen like that even in 3d it's just visually amazing i've watched gravity on my phone on a bus <laughs> it didn't quite have the same uh, well, experience no, I, I, yeah i wouldn't have expected it to somehow <laughs> i saw the terminator the original terminator movie in the cinema uh, that was awesome just getting to see, see that film on a big screen was was fantastic. I think though the most cinematic is um, probably the Hobbit film. Weirdly, I thought that was great fun in the cinema, and it was I was glad to see it on the big screen as well. With the full sixty frames per second, yeah, yeah, glasses, yeah. I, I yeah. found that an interesting experience, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be when people came out saying, oh, "It's terrible." I, I found it interesting. My 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 best cinematic experience the cinema experience actually would have been going down to um cover the bowie fest because i got to see labyrinth on the big screen in a room oh, full yes. of bowie yeah. fans um mm-hmm. and ziggy stardust and spiders from mars concert film in a room full of bowie fans including at that moment um oh the original bass player for the sex pistols um Glenn oh, Matlock. yeah yeah uh, and alan yentob and people like that so that for me that it wasn't about 
that was about being in a room of people all kind of wanting to watch something. So that that was pretty much perfect, to be honest. That was one of our old jingles as we're going very back to the beginning on this podcast. Um, you might even hear an old Charlie Higson sting at some point. <laughs> Don't commit me to that, Stephen. I've got to try and track it down. <laughs> Hello, I'm Charlie Higson, and you're listening to Failed Critics. It was the zomb- zombie festival special. It was on that one. Thank there God go. for that. Thank you there very you much, go. James. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Hours and hours of trawling through old podcasts. Um, and now it's what we've been watching. We have a look at stuff we've seen in the last seven days. It might not necessarily be a new release. Um, so, Owen, why don't you start us off with what you've been watching? Uh, yeah, sure. I watched Hearts of Darkness, which is the definitive making of documentary, supposedly. It's supposed to be the best film about a film, uh, which chronicles Francis Ford Coppola's attempts to make Apocalypse Now, uh, which happens to be... Actually, that's probably one of the best films I've seen for the first time since we've started podcasting. No, no, springs to mind. Uh, I thought it was really good. I thought it was really good. It links slightly at the beginning to Orson Welles, uh, his failed attempt to adapt the uh, Joseph Conrad novel or novella Heart of Darkness, um, which kind of, he gave up trying to make it because he found it a bit impossible and the studio said, we haven't got the money that you want to make this. So in the end, because he couldn't make um, Heart of Darkness, he just made Citizen Kane instead. Why not? (laughs) Uh, It's quite interesting, I thought. So the the film is meant to kind of parallel how it's just almost an unfilmable project. It's just... you. The fact that they wanted to film the whole thing in Vietnam uh, and they, they came up with the idea for making it in the like early, mid-1960s. So like, yeah, we'll just go to Vietnam in the middle of the Vietnam War <laughs> to make this movie. And uh, unsurprisingly, the studio... I And it was going to be George Lucas as well who was going to make it. And the studio just sort of said, no, because you're uh, idiotic dickheads. So we're not going to let you take all our money to Vietnam in the middle of the war and get shot to death. So that never happened. So it ended up with uh, John Mullis's script and Francis Ford Coppola in charge of it, who just pumped all of his own money into making um, Heart of Darkness. So, uh, uh, sorry, Apocalypse. No. So, you know, he'd already had uh, the two Godfather films that come out and been just enormous successes for him. This was his attempt to make, uh, to set up his own film studio, essentially. And so like $30 million of his own money went into this. So it had to be a success. And it's notorious, really, because it almost collapsed a number of times during the process of making this. And so what the what Hearts of Darkness it has, it obviously chronicles the, the making of, but it also has footage that's shot by Eleanor Coppola, who is Francis Ford Coppola's wife, and she filmed a lot of it in secret. So you get to kind of see stuff that you wouldn't have seen unless she was doing this kind of subterfuge, uh, cameras hidden away, shooting bits, recording conversations without his knowledge. Uh, so you get to see like him slumped in a director's chair in the middle of the jungle, and people are moving around trying to get on with their jobs and he's just there head in hands no shirt on because it's too hot 
and just looks like a beached whale because it, it, it just can't take it anymore. It's driving him to despair. So, like, all the stories that come out because of that. So, like, he talks about how, in private conversations, how he thinks Apocalypse Now is, like, doomed to failure. There's absolutely no way this film is going to be finished. It, it, you know, he categorically states that this, this is not a good film. He is not making a good film anymore. And, like, all the way through it, they're constantly rewriting the ending because he just can't think of how to end the film. So, like, even in the scenes at the very end with Marlon Brando, it's almost being re-scripted as they go along because he's just got no plan for it. And he talks about how, like, he's ashamed of what's happening, how he's got too much invested in it. He just doesn't... He just physically can't see how he can just jump out of this project because it's all of his money and all of these people are tied up in it. So there's some great stories. I won't spoil all of them, but obviously Marlon Brando uh, is infamous for being impossible to work with. And again, similar here. So like he demanded $3 million for four weeks' work. And when it looked like the film wasn't necessarily going to go ahead and they had to delay the filming a bit, he just said, no, just give me a million dollars now anyway. Just give me a million dollars or I won't turn up. And he had he had stipulations, like, by 5.30 every day, that was it. He was done. He wasn't going to work after 5.30. So they, they had this, like, diva-esque Marlon Brando trying to control the filming of it. They had casting problems all throughout. So originally, Harvey Keitel was in Martin Sheen's role. And then, like, six weeks into the production, Francis Ford Coppola just said, no, I don't like him, get rid of him, and I'm going to get someone else. So they ended up dropping him, bringing in um, Martin Sheen, reshooting lots of stuff. They had problems with the Philippine military who lent them all the helicopters and then in the middle of filming would recall the helicopters to go and, you know, shoot the bad guys, literally go off and kill people with these helicopters and then return them to set to carry on filming their film about killing people being bad. You know, it's just incredible stories that came out of this. Uh yeah, I'm not like I say, I'm not going to spoil all the stories. I think people should watch it, especially if they've got any interest in the actual film itself. Um, but I, I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was really interesting. Have any of you guys seen A, this, and B, Apocalypse Now? Some of it, yeah. I've, I've watched got Apocalypse this. Now. I actually own this because I've, I've got a special Blu-ray limited edition of Apocalypse Now, which has got this included. And I've just never found the time to watch it, but I'm definitely going to now. Yeah, it's really worth a watch, yeah. And I, I mean, I, like I said, I love Apocalypse Now, so I thought it was just fascinating to just see how the whole thing came together, really, or almost didn't come together. Has anybody else read the, the book, like the original book, Heart of Darkness? Yeah. So that that is that is one of my favourite books ever, but I, I always find it fascinating how, that, in terms of adapting a film from a book and managing to retain the essence of it whilst making it interesting enough to be different... Yeah, I think Apocalypse Now is like the the archetypal example of someone taking really great source material, honouring it, and doing it justice, but still changing it enough to make it a fascinating and, and new experience to watch it on on screen. Yeah, I think setting it in the Vietnam War was a stroke of genius. Really, it's weird. I tried to read the book before I got halfway through, and it just made me want to watch the film again. So I had to take a break from the book and go and watch the film. Absolutely fantastic book. You ever mm-hmm. like? If you ever, I, I, you want to you want to read it about three times because there's so much like symbolism <laughs> and layers to it that like you keep reading it and finding all sorts of other kind of subtextual things. 
But the, the, the most depressing thing about Heart of Darkness is not only is it one of the best novels in the English language, but it was Conrad's fourth language. So he, he mm. wrote one of our greatest novels. Wasn't his first language, wasn't even his second language. Fourth language that he learned. And he still wrote one of the best books of, in its history. And didn't he, didn't he only write it anyway because he was a bit pissed off with H.G. Wells? Didn't he have the similar idea for Island of Dr. Moreau or something like that? And then H.G. Wells went and wrote it and he was just a bit like, well, fuck you then. I'll write this instead. <laughs> I don't know. If so, that's even better. I think, there was, I think they had a bit of a rivalry. That's superb. That's superb. I hope, it, I hope that's true. Anyway, as um, as you're already talking, Jerry, what have you seen this week? So I've watched a fair few films recently, but actually, what I've been occupying my time with uh, the last well, probably couple of weeks is a TV show that I think is not as well known and well watched as it should be. Although I was surprised to see how highly it's ranked. That's Rick and Morty. Oh yes. Yeah, and everybody watched Rick and Morty. In the last week, only just got into it. Only in the last week, and I. And it's bad because I kind of assumed it was for kids because loads of the kids <laughs> that I teach were talking about it, and it was only when I <clears throat> read an article about how the third season's been delayed, and it mentioned Dan Harmon, who created Community, which is one of my favourite comedies of the last ten years. I was like, oh, Dan Harmon's involved. Okay, I'm going to give this a go. Um, so I, I've I've just finished season one of it, but no, go ahead, Jerry, to talk about it, please. Yeah, so it, it's one of them where I think it, it's fairly recent as well, which I think probably doesn't do it any favors. In the animations tend to take quite a few years to get a real kind of mainstream following, if you know what I mean. Um, and you've got some really big established animated series as well, like The Simpsons and South Parks of this world. Uh, you know, kind of dominant in that space, but it's it's genuinely different to even the kind of adult adult swim, adult oriented cartoons that you get around. Um, but it's just it's just hilarious. There's so many references in it. It's very inventive. The characters are brilliant. Um, and I was shocked to find that it is. If you look on the IMDb top 250 TV shows, and obviously this is correct at the time of recording um it's got an equal rating it's number eight on the top 250 and it has an equal rating with the wire <laughs> wow which Blimey. is is heresy what is the top tv show of the iron uh, so, tv so incredibly Surprise. that is now planet earth 2 with 9.6 oh. out of 10 oh. wow <laughs> The Sopranos is actually um, rated below Rick and Morty, I'm afraid. Wow. Yeah. Lord. Sopranos is at number 10. Mind you, how long ago was Sopranos now? Uh, you know? 1999 mm. it started. Yeah. So it so, finished you know, 10 years ago, yeah. So there's lots of people who'll be watching stuff now who probably never watched Sopranos at all. Yeah, so the, the top three is, is Planet Earth 2 is number one now. Uh, mm. Band of Brothers and then Planet Earth. Um, oh, Band of Brothers still up there, though. Rewatched no, that about six months ago. Uh, my my wife had never seen it before, and she's been telling me for years, oh, no, I don't want to watch it. It's bloody war thing, bloody <laughs> World War Two drama, blah, blah, blah. She was sobbing like a baby by the end of it. Oh. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. Nice work. Um, going back to Rick and Morty, though, because what I love about it is because I get really annoyed 
when people tell me that the Big Bang Theory is um, a, a <laughs> sitcom for geeks, right? And it's like, no, that's a sitcom for what like teen magazines think geeks are. Okay, mm-hmm. Rick and Morty is actually a sitcom for geeks. Uh, it, yeah, it's properly it it delves into science. It's got loads of science fiction references. Um, and I loved. I didn't realise this. I thought I've got to find out where this has come from. Yeah, why they came up with this. And it's it's rooted in a, a Back to the Future parody. I didn't realise this. So the other creator, is it Justin Roiland, I think that's his name, who voices both Rick and Morty, um, yep. created, I think it was a short for Adult Swim, with just a really bad-tempered, alcoholic, nasty Doc Brown and, and Marty, um, and, but called him <laughs> Morty. Um, uh, and then an idea for a show, and him and Dan Harmon went, should we just do a, like a longer version of that really nasty Dr. Emmett Brown thing that we did? Um, and it just works so well. And what I love is it's also got, a, there's a really, one of the most realistic portrayals of middle-aged marriage in this show as well. Um, voiced, uh, the, the husband's voiced by Steve, uh, Chris Barnell um, from Archer and Dirty Rock and stuff like that. And there's a there is a real kind of, it's a great program but I, I find that not many people have actually watched it it's a bit of a cult kind of tv program but you know in terms of mainstream acceptance it seems to be quite quite low on it but i've also found having introduced my best mate to it and rewatched some of the episodes even rewatching them within you know a week or so of each other you'll you'll get a lot out of it as well so it's definitely uh definitely going to be around for a while uh, james what have you seen this week i finally got round uh, to seeing the David Brent Life on the Road film. And I know for some people they might go, oh, you know, you've kind of built that you finally got round to seeing it. But I was a huge, huge fan of the original TV show, The Office. Um, I'm not completely 100% averse to the modern caricature that Ricky Gervais has become. Um, and I, I did still have high hopes for this film, especially considering just a couple of years ago we had the, the Alan Partridge film and everyone was a little bit worried and I thought they carried that off brilliantly and, you know, it, it, I thought there's still a chance to turn these classic British sitcom characters into something on the big stage. Um, the main uh, drive behind it is that David Brent, who's still repping, um, is going to have one last push at rock stardom uh, with his band Foregone Conclusion uh, and a rapper called Don, which is, I suppose, the the nod to modern culture or something like that. It starts pretty well, actually. There's some classic David Brent moments, huge amount of cringe factor there. I had a few issues with it, though. David Brent's band are too good. He writes songs too well for someone of his stature. And it, I, I can see why it's a really difficult thing, because if you make bad songs, then it's not going to be nice listening to them in, <laughs> when you go to watch the film in the cinema. So it's it's, a, it's an odd one. Um, it does take away some of the realism. Yeah, because The Office, you know, whatever people thought of it, The Office was re- yeah, almost Ken Loach in its approach to realism at times. Um, but the thing is, his band sound like Ocean Colour Scene. And <laughs> that's not brilliant, but not terrible. Um, and, and the other thing you've got there is the lyrics are a little bit too knowing and intentionally funny. Uh, and so it does take away from the character because 
the character of David Brent wouldn't be writing self-knowing, tongue-in-cheek lyrics. He'd be writing very earnest songs, and a lot of the, a few of the songs come from that earnest place of pomposity um, and smugness and thinking that you're better than other people or thinking you've got something you know to say. But a number of the songs just like, oh, this will sound really funny if we get him to do this in a Jamaican accent kind of thing. Um, mm. Which then brings me on to a few of the other points that I never had an issue with in The Office because when The Office came out, all I'd seen Gervais in at that point was um, the 11 o'clock show, do a few kind of correspondent bits, kind of like the way that Ali G came about. And, um, and he was an interesting and funny guy on there, but that was pretty much all I knew. And so you saw his performance of David Brent and it was a performance and you, you thought this is a character, a bit like the way that John Cleese uh, invented Basil Fawlty, for example. This is a, a character. But the problem is over the last few years and seeing how Ricky Gervais is on Twitter sometimes and in interviews sometimes, David Brent has seeped into him or he's seeped <laughs> into David Brent and it's it actually it's more uncomfortable now because I watch scenes where, for example, he is drunk and getting his young rapper friend to call in the N-word. And you yeah. go, is this Brent? Or is this Ricky Gervais trying to say he should be allowed to say that because black people can? And and that, that really kind of upsets me in a way. Um, and it's really uncomfortable. Unlike, say, Coogan and Partridge, where in Alpha Papa... You were seeing Partridge, but it never felt like um, this was Steve Coogan's extension uh, in the way that his work on the trip was. It was still very much a character. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding it difficult to differentiate between Gervais and Brent now, which ruins the character slightly. Because uh, the original character, I think, was uh, yeah, a fantastic creation. It, yeah, like I say, there were some funny moments. There, there's a lot of funny lines in there. There's a lot of stuff that he does, but it's a little bit formulaic. And you kind of watch it and go, I saw something very similar to that joke in The Office. Um, and that that's my biggest issue. At one point, Diane Morgan turns up, um, who people probably know better as Philomena Kunk. Um, and that was just a lovely bit because I was just like, oh, Philomena Kunk's on screen. And she was just being a very Philomena Kunk-esque character, which was nice. She was also in Alpha Papa as well, I think, very briefly. She was, wasn't she? Yeah, very yeah. briefly, yeah. Um, and then uh, there's my biggest issue is with the ending because there's a there's a lovely point, but there's a point, there's a kind of pre-ending with his band. And I'm not really spoiling it for people. You see it coming a mile off. His band all think he's a dickhead, um, all hate him. They're being, they're basically being paid to go for drinks with him he pays them 25 pound an hour and buys the drinks for them to stay after a gig to have a drink with them it's really sad and a bit pathetic and then all of a sudden without really earning it through the narrative they come around to thinking he's a bit of an all right bloke and that just felt completely unearned for me um there's a kind of second ending which is more to do with his personal life which does feel more natural and brought a little bit of a tear to my eye because I'm a big emotional sissy and stuff like that. But essentially, they just repeated the end of the Office Christmas special all over again in that David Brent's a bit of a knobhead. But you know what? At least he's got his heart's in the right place and there are some actual bullies out there who he gets to have a go at and then a woman thinks he might be all right as long as he stops acting like a dick. That's <laughs> essentially how the Office Christmas special... And I think the Office Christmas special is the definitive feature-length version of the office and the other thing you've got missing here is 
David Brent in the office was a bit of a, a tentpole for the plot, but it had the heart um, of the other characters there. This is all about Brent, and that's where it kind of falls down a little bit because he's not actually that interesting a character once you've seen him. There, there's no real development of him here. It's just a continuation of the David Brent character. Um and so it just gets a little bit wearing after a while. But, you know, it's it's at the moment. I was quite surprised. It's already on Amazon Prime. So if you've got Amazon Prime, it's there to watch for free, um, and that's what I did. So I didn't pay anything for it in that sense. It was ninety minutes. I could sit down and watch a bit of a comedy, but in in the kind of office canon, it's it's a real shame because the rest of the rest of the office is so perfect. So it disappointed me. It's definitely worth watching. I was so I had the same kind of trepidation going to watch it at the cinema as I did uh, with Alpha Papa, and that was a bit worried that it was going to be like a shit long episode of a TV series. It wasn't as good as Alpha Papa, I think. I think we can all agree on that. But at the same time, <laughs> I laughed quite a lot. It still had the kind of Gervais Brent humour mm. that yeah, he's a very it's a, it's a very winning formula. Let's be honest, it, it works. Um, it's painfully uncomfortable at times. Oh like, God, yeah. Oh God, he, he takes the the kind of office cringiness to a entirely new level at times. Um, yeah. I think the format allows him to draw some of that out, like the 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 kind of without wanting to spoil it, the, the hotel room scene. James is, is just you know he oh, draws that out yeah. so much longer than he ever would yeah. in a in a TV program, and it, it yeah it does your heart kind of breaks for him a little yeah. bit more. If you're a fan of it, it's definitely worth watching, Steve. Don't don't kind of don't think that it's not going to be worthwhile. It's just not. Oh wow, that was amazing! It, yeah. it's just I, it, I it's think, like one big long episode of The Office. Yeah, I think I was watching it knowing that I was going to be talking about it on here and wanted to be all criticky and stuff. Like that. <laughs> so if I if I just on a Saturday night turned it on at nine o'clock, had a couple of beers and watched it, I probably would have been in a slightly happier frame of mind come the end of it. Okay, I saw this week the uh, 2014 film Unbroken um, starring Jack O'Connell directed by Angelina Jolie the biopic of the um, promising Olympic runner um, and then latterly um, Japanese POW or captured in a Japanese prisoner of war camp uh, Louis Zamperini um, <clears throat> which I thought was um, very good, very enjoyable, well not enjoyable, yeah, very good watch. All starred Dom Hall Gleeson um, as his kind of friend and um, what I don't know what I can't think of the word is now. He was in the he was in the U.S. Army Air Force in the Pacific Theater with him, and it starts off the it starts off going for his running career, and he goes to the Olympics, um, and why doesn't win a medal? He puts in a record-breaking final lap performance. He's got a lot of promise and the next Olympics meant to be in Tokyo um, and he's tipped to be a medal winner there. But then World War II happens, so he goes to fight the Japanese in the Pacific. Uh, he's in the Air Force. He's in a, a bomber squadron. Um, his plane and search and rescue mission goes down and he is lost at sea for a hell of a long time. I think a record amount of time um, from what they were saying, and they get then captured by the Japanese, and he 
goes through a very grueling time, like many did I expect, but it seemed to be he was victimised by the leader of the prisoner of war camp. Um, so yes, he goes through a very grueling time in that. And I thought it was a, a good film made better by Jack O'Connell's performance. Um, this was shortly after I saw him in 71, where he um, played a soldier, a uh, British soldier, um, caught behind enemy lines in um, Ireland or Northern Ireland, which was, that was fantastic. That was a really, really top draw film. Um, again, carried by his performance. And he does it again in, in this film, playing in American, um, which I hadn't seen him do before. Um, he was famous for Skins, wasn't he? He was in Skins first. I don't know. I think the first thing I saw him in was Stardup. I think that was the first. Yeah, and I was blown away by him in Stardust, actually. Mm. I thought he was incredible, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's really good in this. I thought he was incredible in 71. I thought he might have kicked on a bit by now. I haven't seen him too much since. He was in the um, 300... Money Monster, he was in. Yeah, he was in Money year. Monster quite recently. He was in the 300 sequel um, that was mentioned earlier. Um, and he's got a couple of things lined up. But I, I thought after this in 71, he'd, he'd really kick on a bit. Um, I spent half of Kingmaker thinking that was him, but that's just Kings Kings Kingsman. No, Kingsman. Yeah. yeah, I spent half of Kingsman thinking it was Jack O'Connor. Like, oh no, it's not. <laughs> but but no, he's, he's really good. In this the film the film has a good plot. It, it it it's not like a even though what he's going for is quite severe and quite serious and quite dark. It's not like a really gritty. Um, war film um the plot goes along at a, a nice pace um the time he spends lost at sea with um dom hall gleason's character and another character as well he's probably one of the better bits of the film it's just some of the you know, the relationship between those three characters in quite a, a dire situation um the small moments of joy or happiness they get when they're just joking around or they catch a fish or just you know some of the interaction between them all going right up to the really severe moments where they're kind of lost of all hope they're in stormy seas their boat gets punctured um that kind of thing that's probably the better bit of the film for me but um yeah it's an interesting story for a biopic to be centered around as well yeah i do know my my only problem with it and it's not i guess a problem so much as well it is a little bit of a problem i thought because it was angelina jolie's first it's a directorial debut right so i think she was too scared to make any mistakes so the whole thing feels like it's been made to a very specific well-designed blueprint of like no risks are taken with the story yeah i can see what you mean yeah it's it's very straightforward in terms of storytelling. Um, so it's by the end of it, the only thing that stood out was Jack O'Connell and not really the person's story that he was portraying. Uh, yeah. But, you know, that, like I said, it's, I think the, it was promising for Angelina Jolie. I think she'll probably make better movies because clearly she's very competent. But, it's a good start point for a yeah. directorial career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see what you mean. Looking at it that way, it is it could have probably challenged itself a bit more. And like I said, it was a good film. I thought made better by Jack O'Connell. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going to watch any Jack O'Connell film, watch Seventy One. Fun fact about Seventy One: 
it's it's set in Belfast, yeah, like the Troubles, Belfast. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad grew up in, in Belfast in the seventies. Um, he's a Blackburn Rovers season ticket holder because that's where all my mum's family are from. Um, he lives in Sheffield, and I live in Liverpool. And a film about the city he grew up in in the 70s, in the time that he lived there, was not filmed in any way in Belfast. It was filmed in Liverpool, Blackburn and Sheffield in an absolutely bizarre twist. <laughs> so that was my justification well, did, for buying well, him for did, his birthday. Did, did he see the film? What did he think of it as, as, as something that was filmed and set around times that he knew, experienced? Yeah, he said it was... It was accurate. It was obviously it stretched beyond kind of a reasonable, realistic story because it's it's a film, it's a dramatization like that. Much yeah, I mean, it was a, it was it was about night. Jack. O- yeah, I mean, he got caught behind enemy lines, but it also surrounded sort of like a an intricate kind of undercover operation going on. Some British military people. Um, that he just happened, Jack O'Connell's character just happened to get caught up in by chance. But yeah, my, my dad said it was it was quite surreal um, in how accurate and, and evocative it was of, of the time. Uh, obviously, seen from the view of a British soldier as opposed to the, the view my dad would have had of it. But um, yeah, it was. Um, he said it was said it was accurate enough, if obviously yeah. a extremely exaggerated one night occurrence. Yeah. I mean, there was there was one scene in it where there was an explosion in a pub, mm-hmm. and I think I think it disorientated me in the cinema. Is that realistic? You actually felt you were that much involved. Yeah, in it's a fantastic on. scene, isn't it? Yeah. Our new release for this week is the Lego Batman movie, um, which only Owen and James have seen. Um, I remember Owen not liking so much the Lego movie and James absolutely loving it. Um, So was those opinions pretty much the same for Lego Batman? I kind of liked the Lego movie. I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. I I think my comment at the time was that it's just like watching a big, long advert. Which is, you know, it is. I think so I just remember arguing. I think I remember I think arguing at time. What, what, what do you expect from a film called the Lego Movie? Yeah, exactly. But um, so uh, it's been. A, I haven't seen the Lego Movie since it came out. I pity you. <laughs> <laughs> but I did go into Lego Batman optimistic because of how good uh, Will Arnett as Batman was in the Lego Movie. And I came out of Lego Batman very disappointed. I thought it was tedious, boring, incredibly boring. (laughs) And I went onto Twitter, tweeted that I found it very disappointing, fully expecting everyone else to go, I know, what was wrong with that? Why was it so much different to the Lego movie? And was met with a complete opposite wave of people saying that I'm wrong. Um, so I, that genuinely surprised me. Sometimes I tweet stuff about films. I think this this isn't really going to go down very well. Uh, probably going to sound very contradictory. But I, honestly, I thought people were going to be all over like slating Lego Batman, but it wasn't. So 
What am, <laughs> what am I missing, James? What am I not getting with this? Okay, well, yeah, I think I've, I've got a list of positives and some negatives. Okay. The thing is, I, it didn't hit the heights of the Lego movie for me. All right, and yeah, mm-hmm. right out there, right away. And th- there were some problems with it. Um, I think not least the fact that uh, Lord and Miller weren't actually in charge. It's it's, no, shush. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, positive. So my positive um, uh, voice work. I, I love Will Arnett's Batman. Um, and yeah, that continues. But also Michael Sarah uh, as uh, Dick Grayson, <laughs> Stroke mm-hmm. Robin. There was a bit of an Arrested Development vibe going on there. Uh, also, what I like about Michael Sarah's portrayal is it was kind of quite kiddie film, but without being over. I don't know, patronising or cloying or something. Like that. Yeah. I just, I just really, I, it was good voice work. Um, had a fantastic opening set piece. Um, I think the first ten minutes did set up a, a, a lot of expectations, which weren't always completely met throughout the rest of the film. Um, I found it funny. I genuinely found it funny. I laughed a lot. There were some nice little asides. There was some nice poking fun at. Batman law. It was what's quite interesting is that the Lego movies get to kind of they get a little bit more free reign to take the piss out of what they're meant to be kind of selling. Um so you've not only got the digs at previous Batmans, or some of them are digs, some of them are just like loving homages. Uh, and just this lovely bit where um it's Jeremy Irons, isn't it? As it's, no, it's not. No, because that it's was Ray Batman Fiennes. v Superman. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah Ray Fiennes, uh as Albert talks about how you know Batman's going through this crisis of conscience, and he talks about all the other times that he's had these crises, and it basically goes. It produces scenes of Lego Batman versions of all the previous Batman films, which I think was <laughs> yeah. a nice touch. But then it goes with a live action bit of Adam West dancing in the original Batman movie. But yeah, that, that was lovely. I could have done with some more Adam West, actually. But um, I could have did, thought he made a cameo. He, he must have made a cameo in there yeah. somewhere. I'm uh, sure I heard his voice. but Because yeah. on the most recent Batman Lego game, there were a few levels you could play as... Adam West Batman essentially so um which is amazing um and in a way it, a, a lot of the tone is that 60s Batman uh, okay there's a lot of uh, poking fun at that but also going with it as well so it's, it, it's a lot of fun and it's been a long time since a Batman film was fun um and I know a lot of people including people that I saw kind of abusing you on Twitter, Owen, uh, (laughs) have said this is the second best Batman film in the last decade or something along those lines, or the best Batman film since The Dark Knight. Um, And I I agree with those. I I honestly do. And I I was one of the few people, it seemed at the time, to stick up for The Dark Knight Rises. I I did like The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, we did. Uh, We stuck up for that against all the criticism that that was good. Yeah, exactly. But I enjoyed this as much possibly a bit more than the dark knight rises and i I did like the dark knight rise and for me uh, i can't remember who it was it might have been who's that guardian film uh, reviewer who peter bradshaw thank you i've got beef with him he doesn't realize (laughs) anyway still got beef with him yeah um but i saw in his review afterwards and it was something that i felt as well um well, firstly, I thought well, this is the first time you've seen Batman actually go through some character development in a Batman film since Batman Begins. Um, and he pointed out that every Batman film since Batman Begins has actually been about the villain. 
the focus is bit yeah who's the villain going to be so you had you know the joker um bane you know batman versus superman was kind of about superman rather than batman uh but this film was very very much about batman and which kind of brings me on in some way that's a real positive for me i know it was a kids film but I felt there was more character development in a kid's film about Batman than in most of Nolan's and following films about Batman. So, you know, he grew, he changed, he learned things about himself. I'm not saying it was the best way of exploring (laughs) his character. And I'll, I'll kind of touch on that in a second. I don't think it was, but at least someone attempted to explore and grow him as a character. Um, that, but what I felt, I, so I'll move on to the poor bits because then you can jump in and probably kick it with me. I, 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 thought, <laughs> I thought the ending was very poor in execution. Absolutely came out of nowhere. Didn't really mean anything to me at all. The ending was very much, a, oh, okay, you've rushed that. And that's probably been through rewrites and I just didn't like the ending. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of, I, I possibly liked where they were aiming but the execution was all over the place. Wasn't a big fan of the portrayal of the Joker in this. He wasn't menacing. He wasn't, but he was a bit cuddly and oh, it's just that. And it was um, Zach Galifianakis, wasn't it? And it just, was, yeah. It, I just didn't, I didn't gel with that at all. Um, it was too long. Um, should have been a straight 85 minute film, this one. There was far too much going on uh, in the middle, a bit of a saggy middle, middle section. Um, and one thing that, and maybe this is just me, it seemed a bit confused about which universe it was taking place in. So it was, it, the first half just felt quite self-contained. It felt like a Batman film that was made with Lego characters, um, yeah, with a bit of a Adam West vibe going on. And then they kind of did some master builder stuff and like, oh god, yeah, we're a Lego film, so let's have him just like build random things out of Lego. So, so yeah, it was. I think it was a little bit disjointed. Um, but it kept me going just with the jokes. I, I and I just find it weird that you didn't find it funny, Owen. But you know, like not Star even Wars just either. didn't find it no, funny. You, you, I couldn't. You, I couldn't spot the jokes. I didn't know which bits were supposed to be so the jokes. Interesting. It, I just thought that, like, it, you're right. Very strong first ten minutes. I think everything up until Barbara comes into it mm. is quite. Good. She she went to the Harvard of police schools. I love that. The Harvard. Joke. Yeah. <laughs> But then it no, just Harvard for police. That was it. Oh, yeah, she graduated from Harvard for police, which I really liked. That was a great joke. But I just thought that the rest of it was, I didn't laugh, and I really wanted it to be above mm. anything else, more so than having character development. Yeah. Because for for what is a kids' film about Batman made out of Lego, who's going through sort of a crisis of confidence i don't really care about that i want it to just make me laugh and it did the opposite it was i I just couldn't wait for it to be over and the the ending was so just shite is the only way the ending was poor the ending was poor i yeah i'm totally with you on that one it seemed to be a film that filled itself with references to other things as if that was the joke you know and particularly with these other worldly characters that were brought in, here's this thing, but in Lego, and like, well, it doesn't make any sense. It's not yeah. like surreally funny. It's not like, oh, that's brilliant. I can't, I can't believe they made Sauron out of Lego. Kind of, I just, I, I just disliked it immensely. And just to touch on something Jerry mentioned earlier, it, I would have this below any of the Batman films. 
or any any of the Batman films, and I include Suicide Squad in that. I would rather Ooh. watch Suicide Squad than Lego Batman again. I just don't think I could put myself through it. If I was going to watch it, yeah, I would stop after 10 minutes and then not go any further. Okay. Uh, if it was a short film, it would have been better. But as it is, you're right, it's too long. It's yeah. there's, there's not enough gags. Uh, it, it takes itself weirdly, like, far too seriously in trying to tell this story about Batman. Mm. Uh, it, it's not that sort of film to me, and I don't think it's got the weight to pull off what it attempts to do because it's it's kind of whimsical. And so any of this gravitas about Batman's, like, lack of family and what family actually means and, oh, he's actually a bit of a loner. Oh, well, f- fuck off, basically. <laughs> Just, <laughs> it's, it, you're not doing it any justice. You're not telling this story, pro- like, not properly, properly is the wrong word, but well. Um, just make me laugh. Put something in it that's funny. And I just got frustrated to the point that I zoned out for most of the middle bit. Just stopped paying attention. I wow. didn't. I didn't go so far as to get my phone out in the middle of the cinema. Yeah. But if I was at home, I would have. I'm not. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm not some kind of nods. But I would have just <laughs> either turned it off if I was watching it at home, yeah. or gotten my phone out if I was watching it at home with other people and just uh, given up. I I did take a, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old to watch it. Um, which may have, yeah, that's probably helped me out a little bit because they enjoyed it. My my daughter, okay. she was she's six, and she came to me, and about ten minutes from the end, she said, "Is it nearly finished yet?" Which, yeah, I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, this has gone on." Yeah, that that's yeah. the saggy middle, uh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, "Oh, it's a bit scary in places," um, but the eight-year-old absolutely loved it. Uh, and so, unlike, I, I get that. I think it is a bit more childish. There's less. There's less going on and there's less imagination and less creativity and originality than there was with the Lego movie, which I think had some Absolutely, yeah. actually had some had some really interesting things to say about, you know, childhood and creativity and you know uh and selling toys as well, obviously. Um <laughs> and had loads of great cameos and little reference. The, the Lego movie is funnier and has more heart, but I did enjoy this. Okay. Um that's almost all for this week's Fail Critics podcast. We do have some recommendations for you to watch um, in the week ahead. I'm going for Netflix and a TV show called People Just Do Nothing. It was originally on BBC Three before that went defunct. Um, and it's about um, some people who set up a pirate radio station in their flat in London. Um, heard really good things about it seeing three episodes now and it is really good really funny and you're unlikely to see it on tv now because of what happened to bbc3 although it might still be an iplayer but it's on netflix i watch it there um, i did see one episode of it which I, I wanted to catch more of it but i saw it when it was it was just on iplayer we're just flicking through the comedies i think we watched fleabag on iplayer which i'd also yeah. recommend that was a good sitcom last year and uh it, it was just on the same category and uh yeah. You know, do they have like a more like this kind of thing? So Possibly, we gave that. Episode, yeah. I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I didn't realise it was on Netflix though, so I'm definitely going to go. Yeah, and... just just come on to Netflix. I think in the last couple of weeks. Um, oh, and what are you telling people to watch? Uh, so, um, well, just on the, the the subject of that, I'll say Still Game is on Netflix. BBC sitcom that was only shown on BBC Scotland, I think, originally. Uh, which is pretty good. But that wasn't what I was going to recommend. I was going to um, pick Vertigo, 
uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Thriller with Jimmy Stewart, which is on Film 4 on Monday at 20 to 1 in the afternoon, which Sight and Sound named the greatest film ever back in... In 2012, when we were doing the podcast, yeah, I remember Not that. Citizen Kane off the top of the list, yeah, and uh, yeah, so that's on uh, on Monday. On film um, four, Jerry. I think based on what I said earlier, knowing that Amor is on this week, give your give the special person in your life a Valentine's treat by watching <laughs> Amor and realizing how grindingly heartbreaking it is to love someone and especially to. Uh, devote your life to them because it will all just come to crumble and cause you pain. What's Lovely. <laughs> James? Um, I'm going for what was my pick in the Film Critics uh, Awards for Best Documentary of last year, and it's already on Netflix. Um, lo and behold, Reveries of the Connected World <gasps> is yes. uh, mm. Werner Herzog's kind of it's difficult. It doesn't have the clear narrative of something like Grizzly Man or Into the Abyss. It doesn't have a focus, yeah, that laser sharp focus. But it is Werner Herzog, who is himself um, a technophobe. He he only has a mobile phone because people actually need to contact him for work. He doesn't really like the internet or technology, but he throws himself into this journey about man's. Um, relationship with technology and there's some fascinating scenes there. there's people who were there at the beginning of the internet um, there's a lovely scene of um, just a load of Tibetan monks uh, walking <laughs> along looking at mobile phones it's yeah. awesome. um, and, and it's just got it's, and it's got that classic Werner Herzog narration that I could just listen to forever and, you know, and if, if I ever restarted you know, fair critics uh, alongside that question of who would be the, the actor you would want playing you, who would narrate <laughs> the story of your life, and it would, be, it would always be Werner Herzog for me. I think that'd be amazing. So yeah, it's on Netflix. Uh, it's nine. It's only ninety minutes long. It's just a brilliant documentary. Have you seen uh, Into the Inferno, which is his other Netflix documentary? I haven't, I've, but I I noticed that was on there, so I'm going to try and watch that this week because that's that's a Netflix exclusive, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think yeah. both of those came or onto Netflix. Netflix original, right? Yeah, because yeah, because the, the DVD I've got of Lo and Behold, because I've, I've pre-ordered it and got it's a Dogwood one, but then I saw that he'd done a, a Netflix Netflix exclusive about volcanoes, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that looks fascinating. There's some interesting cultural things mm. involved with uh, Into the Inferno, but of the oh, two, okay. uh, yeah, Lo and Behold is just fantastic. It's much better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bringing this full circle, you'll be delighted to know that um, Werner Herzog has a voiceover guest appearance in Rick and Morty. Yes! <laughs> oh my god, amazing. Right, awesome. Can't wait for that. Okay, well that is all for the Failed Critics 250th episode. Um, thanks to uh, Owen for all his hard work on the podcast, because I literally turn up on a Monday night <laughs> for a couple of hours and little else other than watching films um, thanks for James and Jerry for both coming on tonight and helping us get this started 250 episodes ago thank you to all the listeners uh, especially if you have listened to all 250 episodes that's some achievement or there is no prize for it um, and we can't I think there's only that. me who's done that I think yeah, nobody else <laughs> would have stuck with we can't give you that time back either it's lost no. now um, and yeah so thank you all for, for 
um, continuing to listen. Um, the website is still there with reviews going up whenever Owen puts them up, whenever people <laughs> write them. Um, and Owen, what have we got next week? Oscars preview, I think. It is our Oscars preview with Andrew Brooker and Paul Field. Okay. Uh, so, yes, another big one to look forward to, episode 251. Um, and hopefully we'll have James and Jerry back on for episode 500. <laughs> I wonder which, yeah. which which film franchises do you think will be revi- will be still be going by episode five hundred? Like which which Fast and franchises? Do you think I like really hope out? it's the Fast and Furious. Yeah, that will be. It'll, it'll be the uh, Lego Harry Potter film by that point, won't it? Yeah. When it comes to our five hundred episode, or we'll be on to Quite Doctor probably, Strange yeah. Seven. Mm. Marvel will still be going. I reckon there'll be yet another Batman reboot by then. I think we're due. We're due a new Batman by then. <laughs> Yeah, four new Spider-Men by then as well, obviously. Right, I think that's us done. Wow. Oh, thanks, guys. It was good to t- chat to you both again. I might well be back for the next Fast and Furious film. I, I feel like I can't. Like that's probably going to be the next time we see a film in the cinema at this rate, but yeah. Thanks very much. I really do appreciate you. Thanks, though. Thanks for inviting us back on. And yeah, let's do it. Let's not wait another hundred odd episodes until we do it next time. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with original music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com You can find us at failedcritics.com at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at at failedcritics When we were doing the podcast Yeah, I remember Not that Citizen Kane off the top of the list Yeah And uh, yeah so that's on uh, on Monday. I'm um, Jerry? He's falling asleep. Frantically trying to take myself off mute there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that out. It's fine. Uh, I might leave it in for old time's sake, I think. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Shambolic as ever. Highlight my professional. <laughs> um, Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.